Hello everybody and welcome to episode one of the Shiny Bees podcast, Send in the Hogs. Today is Sunday the 5th of August. So we're back with episode one of the podcast. A big welcome to all of those of you that are new to the podcast at episode one, and also a welcome back to those of you that listened to the pilot episode. Quite a few of you got in touch to tell me what you thought. I'm very grateful for the feedback, and it was really nice to hear from you. I'm going to kick off with a couple of thank yous. The first one going to Martine of iMake. Thank you, Martine. Thank you who's given me absolutely loads of help with the technical aspects of recording the podcast and how to upload it to the internet and the correct feeds and where it needs to be and all that kind of geeky stuff that I didn't know anything about prior to uh, recording the podcast because I'd never even used GarageBand before before the podcast because GarageBand is for geeks and, and so are Max, frankly, or that was my opinion anyway. At this point, I'd also better extend my heartfelt gratitude to the resident geek in our house, uh, my husband, who spent ages <laughs> editing out all the errs and ums from the last podcast for me, because I didn't know how to work it at that point. Also, I told him. And he did a really good job. That is true love for you, if uh, if ever I saw it. So thank you very much, but much to him as well. He wrote a blog post a while ago on my um, blog about his Cosmic Elf electronics project. I'll put a link in the show notes. Go and have a look at it because he really wants people to read it. But funnily enough, people interested in knitting aren't that interested in 1970s electronics. But it was quite funny. So I recommend you have a little look at that. Additionally, thank yous to my original test panel of people who listened to the podcast before. I actually sent it out to the the real world. Not that they're not in the real world, of course, but you know what I mean. And that is to Louise from Kirthness Craft Collective. Also, the Gingerbread Bunny, Sal, who's a friend of mine from home. And finally, a thank you to Green Triangle Girl from a Playful Day podcast, who I sent the pilot to once it had been released for general consumption. And she was also very kind and helpful with her feedback. So we had a bit of a chat about warthogs. More on that later. I must also say I'm loving Olympic fever at the moment. There's some real positive love coming out of uh, the UK, definitely, for Team GB, who are doing brilliantly well. I think far better than anyone ever expected them to do. And I think it's fantastic that the young people of Great Britain have got some proper role models for a change, because I don't think being a Big Brother contestant or being on TOWIE really counts as being a proper celebrity. Of course, I'm also supporting the athletes of my adoptive nation, South Africa. I'm loving Oscar Pistorius' work. What an inspirational bloke. Good luck to you. So without further ado, on to the show. So as I mentioned, I've had a few emails and messages from different people about the pilot episode and what they thought. And the recurring theme has been warthogs. Now, I kind of thought the snakes were the interesting part. And I say snakes there, I only mentioned Billy, because there's only Billy living in the garage at the moment. But before Billy came back from 
his hiatus in the summer, we also had, well, at one point we had three boom songs, we think. But we definitely had two at one point, uh, one of which was a juvenile boom song. And you can't tell whether it's a boy or a girl because they're all the same colour at that age. And whereas normally a grown-up boom slang will be green if he's a male and brown if she is a female. But the baby one was quite blatant. He must have been a teenager because he'd just like sit in the tree and not even move. And then they were both there for about a week and now son slash daughter of Billy has gone somewhere. We think he might have moved into the back of the roof at the house because there is another snake that lives at the back of the house. But we're not really sure. So I kind of thought that everyone would be like, wow, snakes. At this point, I'll add, it's not its not snakes on a plane. They don't just fall out of the tree and try and strangle you or anything when you get in the car. There are quite a lot of them around here, and some of them are dangerous. We have puff adders and black mambas and spitting cobras and all that sort of stuff. And some, some lack of big, big snakes. But you don't often see them unless they're dead, the really big and scary ones, other than Billy. But as I said, it seems like the snakes are small fry at the moment compared to the hogs. As I was saying, the hoggies are getting a little bit, a bit anti, to be honest. They're getting a bit out of control. They're showing a complete lack of respect for cars, humans or, or anything else, frankly. They just don't seem very scared of anyone or anything at the moment because they're quite hungry. And the other day... My friend was in her house and she was cooking and the next thing was she had a lot of barking at the back gate and she thought, oh, someone's walking past again, the dogs are barking, yeah, whatever, and didn't pay much attention to it until the dogs came running into the kitchen covered in blood. And at this point, with blood all over the kitchen and two children to look after and blind panic setting in she put it in the kitchen knife and thought I'd better have a look what's going on and it turned out that the, the side gate had been open and the dogs had been barking at a warthog and this warthog being a warthog I guess I'm not sure what the word is for it impaled gored like a bull Dunno. Never really looked it up to be honest. But whatever the word is that describes the action of putting one's warthoggy tusk into the leg of two of of my friend's dogs, that's what happened. So she had to like bundle the dogs up and take them to the vet. Uh, one of them was worse than the other, and and that one had to have stitching that stay overnight. And the other one, bless, it wasn't that bad. But in order to get all the muck and grime out, they had to make quite a big cut so they could do proper stitches. So now she's got two dogs with kind of bald legs and one of them's really hairy, so bless. It looks a little bit daft, but now I am a big, big dog lover. I have two dogs at home in the UK that are being babysat by my mother and father-in-law at the moment. So I was very angry to hear about this rampant warthog going around, kicking off with the neighbourhood dogs. So when I had a question through saying, can you eat warthog? My answer was resounding yes. Apparently you can eat warthog. It has to be cooked in a special kind of way. You have to know what you're doing because otherwise it can be very tough when you try and eat it. Apparently it tastes quite gamey. I don't know. I've not tried it, but I wouldn't mind trying it actually. 
Anyway, so this means I've been a little bit worried about stray neighbourhood dogs. Not that we have that met. Well, actually, we've had quite a few recently, but because I know the warthogs are a bit anti, if there are any dogs running around, especially small yuppie ones, which there seems to be quite a few around here, I'm quite conscious to get them back wherever they're meant to be. Probably should have been on Ace Ventura, but I wasn't weird enough. Anyway, we had a stray dog on our lawn the other day, and bearing in mind that the warthogs have been kicking off, I thought, no, I better get this dog back. He looks quite cute, quite friendly. It was a Dachshund, I think a normal-sized Dachshund. And he's kind of running around, sniffing where the warthogs have been, and, you know, weeing everywhere and doing what boy dogs do. So I thought, yeah, I'll get this dog and I'll put him back. I've got a history of rescuing dogs. I just I just don't like to see them out and about on their own. And people can sometimes drive quite fast and they won't see this little rat dog before they run it over. So I start kind of chasing this dog around, trying to get him. And I'm like running around the garden with a bit of bread, because we've got no dog treats because the dogs are at home in the UK. Trying to get him to come near because he was a bit shy, bless him. So he's following me around and eating all this bread and I, sat, I was thinking, oh, I hope he's not one of these dachshunds with like a delicate digestion because if I'd given that much bread to my dogs, the aftermath would not have been great. I think the less detail on that, the better. So I eventually gets this dog to kind of come around into the back garden and I tried to get him into the courtyard and I got him in there. I thought, right, brilliant. And then I rang uh, my friend, uh, Tanya, who will be on the show with the African section shortly and I thought it was a dog that belonged to a girl in the school who lives opposite Tanya because they have dachshunds and I see them walking the dog every night so I was like yeah I think it's Vorshi. Vorshi it means sausage basically little sausage uh, sausage dog. Anyway this dog I thought it was Vorshi. so I said can you come see this dog and, and see if it is the right one because I don't want he's a long way from home you know and I don't want anything to happen to him I don't want him to get run over and then you know this girl will be upset before she gets injured. So she's like, yeah, I'll come round. Don't worry about it, I'm coming now. I'm still trying to corral this dog. And I realise that he doesn't actually speak English, he speaks Afrikaans. And the only dog command, even remotely dog command I know in Afrikaans, is come, well, come. So I was like, hello little doggy, come with me, ooh, squeak, squeak. And he was just like, nutter. And I was like, hey, come. And he came trotting along. I thought, brilliant, he speaks Afrikaans. Tanya speaks Afrikaans. It's all going to be fine. So she rocks up, comes in the back garden, and starts talking to Voshi. And she's like, hello, Voshi. Is that Is that you? And obviously, this little dog goes bonkers, because finally someone can speak his language. And I was like, well, it must be him, because he's, he's answering to his name, and he seems to know you, and, and he lives across the road from you. So, yeah, that's probably him. Take him home. So she, she took him home. You know, and we're like, yeah, we're such superheroes. We should have been on Ace Ventura. Goes to the house across the road, knocks on the door. Vorshi answers with the lady that works there. Right, so it's not Vorshi then. And he's got no tag on, so we don't know who he belongs to. What are we going to do? So Tanya says, let's go to the school, because the kids will know who this dog belongs to. All right, okay, let's go to the school. So we went to the school. Can you imagine doing this in the UK? Rocking up to a school, walking in with a dog that isn't yours and saying, does anybody know who this dog is? <laughs> but this is Africa, people. Africa's not for sissies. So 
the girl whose dog I thought it was was there and she's like, that's not Vorshi. And we were, we said, well, no, we know it's not Vorshi, we've just been to your house. And then we got sent to another lady and found out it was her dog, a different lady who works in, in the nursery in the school. So why is this a funny story? Well, the reason why Vorshi, not Vorshi, answered to Vorshi is because he's also called Vorshi. <laughs> so we've been running around trying to find this dog's owner to put him back into into the, his into the right garden and it turns out he only lives across the road i've just never seen him so yeah lesson number one don't try and save every dog that you come across from the warthogs because it probably will just turn into an epic tale on the needles Currently, we're still damasking. And to say it's on the needles is technically correct. It is on some needles, but it isn't hibernating so much as in stasis. Just nothing's happening. It's not even asleep. It's not moving. It's not breathing. It's just frozen in time. I do want to cast on another shawl. More on that later. So I am going to finish this one first. As I said in the last episode, there's nothing wrong with the pattern. It looks awesome. The wool's really great. It's just sitting down and concentrating on it, really. That is, is a problem for me. I have a very small attention span, especially uh, for anything fiddly. But I think it will be nice when it's finished, so I will try and do some on it before the next podcast, because I think once I start on it, it will be done fast. It's just the picking it up and rediscovering the joy of, of the stasis project that is the problem at the moment. Also, there is owls. The needles have turned up from the UK, the tips that I needed. I spent about, I think it's about £12 on finickies. Finickies is like an Afrikaans word for little bits and bats. And then I can't charge 40 rand in customs. I have a massive problem with the customs in this country. I don't mind paying the 40 rand if that's what I've got to pay. But it's just kind of fire at will. It's random parcel picking. If you order something from Amazon, it will always get customs charged. But if you order from other things, it generally, and it doesn't look too interesting, it'll generally get through. This did not look interesting. It even said knitting needles on the back. But I still got charged customs. Have a word with yourself, Sapo. Have a word. So I haven't actually picked that one up again yet and I plan to do that quite soon. I'm also working on socks for Millie, which were the socks I was working on last time with the Nurturing Fibres self-striping yarn that was in the recent sock club. It's going quite well. The I'm following the pattern from the Twisted Sisters sock book and it it looks a bit baggy. I measured everything up like it said, and I followed all the instructions for the the sock recipe. My husband, bless him, he's got massive, big paddle feet. He's like a size 11. Why did I ever send him some socks size 11? Two of, thank you. But his feet are really wide, and then he's got really snappy legs, because he's quite tall. So I think they're just going to like hang down and be a bit baggy around the leg, in order to be wide enough around the feet. Otherwise, they're going to look like real comedy kind of pretend feet socks when they're not on your feet because they'd be thin on the leg and then really fat and wide like a clown 
So I think I'll just crack on and see how they turn out. Because if they are terrible, you know, this yarn, it does, it stands up to everything. It frogs well, so I'm sure it will be fine. And at least he'll have his pair of socks that he wanted. And they will be a pretty colour, even if they are a little bit baggy. There's also a pair of socks that I'm doing for me. Me, 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 me. These were originally going to be the Kebner Kaiser socks, which are by Frieda Aberg from the Friday Studios. They're a top-down sock. It's a free pattern, by the way. And you're meant to use yarn that changes colour. And when the yarn changes colour, instead of doing a knit stitch, you'll do a purl stitch. So the coloured bits in the sock end up looking different because they're different stitches as well as being different colours. And the effect that it produces is quite nice. But the yarn that I've picked, and I really wanted to make something with this yarn, again, it's another Nurturing Fibres one. 100% Superwash Merino in the colourway Spring Showers, which is really, really nice. And it's a green, white and blue flecky, I would say, if that's even a word, colourway. And from the minute I started doing the cuff, because I started doing the cuff and you meant to do a provisional cast on and then knit a load of it and then fold it over and I just thought, oh, I can't bother with that, gaff that off. So I did a one-by-one one rib because it socks. I'm sure it's not that fundamental to the pattern. I'm sure the one-by-one one rib will hold it up. And as soon as I started knitting, I was like, I'm really loving this yarn. It, this pattern will not work with this yarn. And I've tried, I've tried to kind of like push two things together that weren't going to work together basically so I thought I have got some yarn that will work with these socks this isn't it so the yarn I've got is also is another nurturing fibers one that I got in a swap recently so I'm going to do those socks but I will do them in the other yarn and I will do the ones that I'm doing that were meant to be Kevin Kaiser is as just a pair of vanilla socks I think and I'll just crack on and finish it because I, it doesn't want to be anything too patterny this yarn because of the colour changes in it it's quite speckly the resulting fabric which is nice uh, but if you put it with a pattern it's it's just going to be too busy so these will just end up being a vanilla sock and this is one of my projects for the uh, Ravelenic Games I'm not calling it the Ravelenic Games no Ravelympics, Ravelympics, Ravelympics come and find me in Africa come and find me in Africa and tell me I can't call it the Ravelympics because the Ravelinic Games is a bit of a mouthful, although it was the best choice of named. Um, I'm in Team RSA, which is a South African team. And bless them, they, they, they let me be in it, even though I'm not South African born or anything. They said, no, you can come and still be in our, in our team. So they're not as hardcore as the Olympics when it comes to which team you're allowed to be in. Uh, so I'm on that team with them. I haven't tagged any project. I haven't even picked half the projects. I cast on two days after it started. Because I was busy in Pretoria for a quilting exhibition, which I'll try and shoehorn in later on. If not, I'll talk about it next time. So I cast these on when I got back. I mean, um, they're going quite quickly and I'm, I am enjoying it, uh, but they're not what they started out to be. But I'm sure they will be really nice when they're done. The final project, and it's not on the needles yet, but I am so desperate for it to be on the needles. I so want to start this, but I'm banning myself from starting it until I finish the mask hence the motivation for finishing that is a striped story by uh, Vera Valamaki 
I was, as I mentioned, I was at a quilting exhibition at the weekend, which also happened to have some yarn. And I bought two balls of yarn, one, both from Nurturing Fibres, these ones. Yes, I, I do have a massive yarn crush on Carlay. You know, buy local, local is lacquer. I appreciate that Cape Town is a long way from Limpopo, but that doesn't matter, it's still the same country. I've got two colourways. One is a green and blue one, which is called Ocean's Edge, which is very pretty. That is, again, in the Super Twist sock, 100% Superwash Merino. And i got another one called Jelly Bean. This is a variegated rainbow-coloured yarn. Again, the same base as before. Now, Carle does do a self-striping rainbow yarn, which is immense. But the greedy yarn piggies went on Friday and bought it all. You know who you are. So there was none of that left, but there was this one. So after making a bit of a fool of myself and cuddling these cakes of yarn for about half an hour at the stall, I finally got round to, to picking and buying this one. And the red in the colours matches perfectly to the red on the red warmth, which was part of the sock club that I mentioned earlier, the seasonal sock club for this time, the Basodo Banquet. And... It's going to be bright, but it's going to be so awesome. The red is like a carmine colour. It's real blood red. It's very intense red. It's not on the needles yet, but it, it will be soon, definitely. So I'm quite excited about that. As for off the needles, I've been quite good, actually. I finished the far away so close. I know it's kind of cheating. I only had two rows to do in the crochet edge. That is finished, and was given to the recipient and she really liked it but it was actual joy it wasn't pretend yeah thank you for this gift i really like it it was like "Ah, i really like it let me wear it now so which was nice apart from then a lot of a lot of other people were saying oh can you knit this for me i want one can i order one (laughs) I, i feel really rude saying no i don't i don't do orders i barely knit for myself i have no time to knit things other people not that I'm a complete selfish person but I don't I would quite I'm quite to knit things if it's someone's birthday and they said to me I would really like a shawl for my birthday if you have time would you mind I'm quite happy to do that because knit worthy people are fine but I don't like the idea of having to knit to order if that makes sense it feels too much like work to me then and it's I don't know it's not prostitution but it almost is in my mind so have knitting prostitution if anyone has any thoughts on that please get on to me anyway back on earth i also it was a one of izzy's mikey's birthday mikey another word for you it, it means a little friend little buddy he lives right in the corner he it was his birthday and he was two so i made him well, his mum had been complaining that he's a boy and he's got an older brother and everything they get, they break because they play rough. So I thought, I know, I'm going to knit him a toy. You can't break something squashy. And I knitted him the knitted aeroplane toy by Jean Greenhow, which is in a, a book called Bazaar Knits, which is a charity knitting book. I think it's about £6 to buy. I bought it in a shop, a paper copy. I don't know if you can get the patterns online or not because obviously I bought the paper copy but it has like 40 patterns in and they're all kind of toys and and for charity things, like things you can sell. They're really nice. 
It was done in acrylic, four ply. It was meant to be DK. I went to the shop and bought four ply. Don't know why, but I did. But it worked. It was fine. Which was a Mirage four ply. Just ordinary kind of toy acrylic standard. And that was fine. Knitting with acrylic is fine. I haven't, I'm not a snob. I'm not anti-acrylic at all. Because I'm sure I would have loved a pure silk and Stellina and, you know, cloud and unicorn hair aeroplane toy but we don't we don't have access to that kind of yarn in Luigi card so yeah he got acrylic and he likes it by all accounts it was I didn't stuff it either with um toy stuffing I stuffed it with fleece proper fleece because the plane was yellow and I had some yellow fleece that knitter scarlet had died and I helped to card a lot of it up uh, when I was in Wales so she gave me some of that and I thought well if it shows through it won't matter because it's yellow as well so I used that, so it was quite... I mean, there was a bit of eco-friendly in there, really, amongst all the plastic. But apparently he loves it. He really likes the toy. I think his mum liked it more than him, because she does appreciate the handmade. And finally, there is Emma's hat, which is a little baby beanie for a friend of mine's baby who is arriving very soon, in three weeks, maybe? It's in Louisa Harding Grace, which is 50% wool, 50% silk. Talk about a swanky hat for a newborn. The pattern is the Leafy Newborn Beanie by Justina Lokoska. Lokoska. Not sure if that's the correct pronunciation, but that was my best effort, Justina. I like your pattern, it's very nice. Um, it is really simple. It's meant to be done in the round and I don't know why, I just decided to do it flat and sew it up, as you do. It's all in reverse stocking stitch so that the inside bit is not bumpy, it's all nice and flat. Because that's the stocking stitch side, it's got a little leaf on the front, so it's quite unusual. The yarn is, it goes from white almost through to really, really dark burgundy. It's all kind of speckly yarn, so... It looks quite interesting. It's a bit different from the usual sort of baby stuff that you get. So we'll move on to the Afrikaans section of the show. And I would like at this point to welcome Tani Tanya to the show. Hello everyone. This is Tanya. And today we're going to talk about that ubiquitous of South African social ceremonies, the braai. So Tanya, what does braai stand for? Braaiing means, I suppose, to barbecue. And it's when everyone congregates around the fire and braai their meat. They cook their meat. Okay, is anyone allowed, allowed around the fire? No, only men. <laughs> okay, so those of us from the UK and the US are thinking, why? Why is it only men that are allowed to touch the fire? What do the women do? The women sit and watch or go to the kitchen to make the salads. And they chat and they skinner. Oh, skinner. What does skinner mean? Skinner means gossip. <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay then, Tanya. So you mentioned that the men cook the meat. What sort of meats would one find at a bride? Uh, depends what you're in the mood for that day. You can either braai some chicken or fillet or steak or even some burrowosh. 
Ooh. I'm not going to try and say that word. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is burvos? Burvos is a South African sausage. And is there a particular order to which the different meats are put on the brine? Well, I think the, guy, the guys usually talk about uh, what needs a hot fire or a cool fire. I think the the steaks would probably need a hot fire, but I stand under correction. <laughs> <laughs> and the chicken needs to be done for long, for about 45 minutes, so that would need a cooler fire. And where does the sausage go? The sausage either goes right around it, around all the meat in a circle, or it gets curled up like a little snail shell. Because bovos is like um, a Cumberland sausage in the UK. It doesn't have links like, like a butcher's sausage would. It's just really, really long. So when you go to the butchers to buy it, there's a big massive box and it's just got this huge long sausage in it and he kind of pulls a bit out until you think, right, I'm ready, that, that's enough now. And then he kind of cuts it off and, and that's your sausage. You can have as big a sausage as you like. And there's different kinds. There's spicy sausages, cheesy vosh, camille vosh, camille pert vosh, all different kinds of things. What's a camille pert? A camille pert is a giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> so some people even have that. Oh, but no sausage dogs. No sausage dogs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have the different kinds of meat. What sort of accompaniments would one have? If you want to, you can have a, a starter. So you can have a kebab, which we call a susati, which can have bacon on and cherries. Or you can have, uh, you can put a mushroom through the kebab and then put the bacon around it. So that can be your starter. And then during the brine, we also put on braibrugis. Oh, lacquer. <laughs> um, what is in a braibrugis? A braibrugis is a sandwich. That you put cheese and tomato and a little bit of onion on. And then you fry it on the one side and then you turn it around and fry it on the other side. Until the cheese is melted deliciously. <laughs> and <laughs> the outside is just nice and toasty. Alright, so it's a cheese and tomato and onion toasty. Yes. On the fry. On the fry. They are very nice. They're delicious. Do you butter your bread on the outside of the broiki? I do, I think. But other people butter it on the inside. And then there's even people that put a little bit of yarn or thread yeah. around the broiki so that if you turn it around, it doesn't fall apart. See, that's clever. That's clever, but that's a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, but I did that once with polyester string, which is pretty much all plastic. So it just had, didn't work. No, it just had that kind of melted plastic all over it. <laughs> but it looked nice beforehand. It looked pretty. And, and we also put mayonnaise in ours. We put butter on the outside and mayonnaise in the middle with some black pepper as well. And you can also put in a little bit of chutney. Ooh, mm. what kind of chutney? Normal, original chutney. Mrs. Balls. Mrs. Balls Mrs. Chutney. Balls. There's no other. <laughs> <laughs> we don't... You can only get um, Mrs. Balls chutney in, in a South African shop in the UK. So what is in Mrs. Balls chutney? I don't know. <laughs> Does anyone know? <laughs> it's, it's a secret. <laughs> yeah, and some secret stuff that they don't tell us about. Oh, awesome. Okay. So the men cook the meat in a specific order and then... 
they do the broikis because they, they will burn otherwise before the cheese is melted. Yes, and the broikis come at the end because you need them to be hot. Yeah. Okay. What happens after we've done all the cooking? Then everyone eats the meal with potato salad or a green salad. And you kind of always eat it on your lap because mostly you don't sit around the table. And after that, then everyone comes back to the fire and the women are allowed to come to the fire now. (laughs) (laughs) And heat themselves up and chat a bit further. At this point... Uh, I probably should mention that everyone turns up with a cool box as well and a camping chair or two, and you sit on the camping chair. So you can bry anywhere. You can go into the middle of nowhere and just find some firewood and and start a bry, and and hopefully not a bushfire at the same time. And they all have beer as well in the uh, cool box. In the cool box. (laughs) Okay. Is there any singing or any, any kind of traditions that go along with the fire afterwards? Sometimes there's some guys that uh, can play an instrument, like a guitar or a djembe drum, and then they can sing songs, and often it's Afrikaans songs, which everyone then sings along with, or they're just playing in the background and having a good time by themselves while everybody else chats. Yeah, and is that in any way correlated to the amount of beer consumed? For sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to see if I can record some of the boys singing. It could be quite interesting. Thank you, Tanya, for helping with the South African section. I promised you last time a quick book review. The book review for this week is the Twisted Sisters Sockwork book, which is by Lynn Vogel and is published by Interweave Press. The price is $18.95 US and $23.95 Canadian dollars, according to the book. I'm fairly sure that's not what I paid in pounds. It's about 90 pages long and the blurb on the back says, The Twisted Sisters Sock Workbook has it all. Techniques, patterns, invaluable tips for creating authentic, perfect, made-to-order footwear. Even socks for new babies or socks with ten toes. And at first I read that as, for people with ten toes. And I thought, is there a pattern for people with nine toes? <laughs> but then I obviously reread it and thought, yeah, okay, get a grip, Joe. It's really good. It starts at the beginning with dyeing fleece so that you can dye the colours that you want and hand painting as well. Then it goes on to the spinning of yarn for socks and it goes on to designing patterns. There are explanations for all the different kinds of heels that you get and the different kinds of cast-ons and cuffs that you can knit and the different methods you can use to knit socks. There aren't really actual definite patterns in it, as in this is a pattern for this sock, this is a pattern for that sock. So I would say it's more of a recipe book in that you take the bits of technique that you want and put them all together. I'm currently knitting the first pair of socks that I'm doing from this book, which are Millie's socks. And as I mentioned earlier, it seems like the leg is a bit baggy, but I think that's more due to his leg than anything else. Because when I tried it on his foot, around around the foot part, the wide part that you've got to measure, uh, it looks right. So I think it will turn out okay in the end. The photography on it is really good and the explanations are also really good because I quite often, when I look at some books, they'll put a diagram in and the diagram doesn't seem to match what they're saying or it isn't in the right place next to the text, so it's really confusing. 
that isn't a problem with this book. Everything seems to make sense to me so far in it, and I can follow it all, which I haven't been knitting socks that long, so to say that is quite obviously means it's quite well explained. Would I buy it again? Yes, I would. It was recommended to me by someone else, um, another South African actually. I think it was a really good buy and I would recommend it. So I shall put a link in the show notes to the book depository. There's nothing wrong with Amazon, but as you've heard, if it's in an Amazon box, it will get charged customs. So not that I'm advocating avoiding customs charges. I'm just more of a kind of, well, we pay it every time or we don't pay it all kind of person. So whenever I order from the book depository, it always gets through no problem. So just a reminder, that was the Twisted Sisters Sock Workbook by Lynn Vogel. Well, I think that brings us on neatly to the end of the show. It's already got to 40 minutes, so I will talk about the Quilting Expo in the next episode. So, a big thank you to all of you for listening. If you would like to get in contact with me, and I love chatting to people, so do feel free, don't be shy, you can contact me via email on shinybeesinfo at gmail.com. I'm shinybees on Twitter and Ravelry. You can leave a comment on the blog, which is www.shinybees.wordpress.com. Or you can come and join the Shiny Bees podcast group on Ravelry, which is a new group that has just set up and come and have a chat to us all there. All that remains for me to say now is I hope you have a lovely week. Thank you very much again for joining me and speak to you all again soon. Dussins! You've been listening to the Shiny Bees podcast. Show notes can be found at www.shinybees.wordpress.com And if you enjoyed the show, why not leave a review on iTunes?